0: hello and welcome to church at the bridge thank you for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast this is week four of our sermon series flying high today's message is titled a guaranteed victory we hope you enjoy the word amen good morning hey i want you to do me a favor I want you to reach out to somebody you don't know, and I want you to just give them a high five. Somebody you don't know. Someone you don't know. Someone you don't know. All right? Go go for someone else you don't know. Go for someone else. All right? Okay, one person got the idea. All right? Now, you know it's interesting as I was watching you all do that. Um, I saw a lot of smiles and all that, and Pastor Nett kind of tipped the hand and told you what I'm talking about today, but we've been in a series for the last several weeks entitled flying high and we have been talking about uh, we've been looking to the Bible in regards to the life of this guy named Nehemiah and uh, Nehemiah was an interesting person because Nehemiah was not unlike you and I Uh, and I'll tell you what I mean by that Nehemiah has been where you and I have been in that we get comfortable sometimes in life you ever been there it's kind of comfortable you know this is what I was taught. This is where we live. This is how we do it, right? This is all I know or this is just my space, right? This is, this is what I like. The problem with that is that when we are comfortable in what we think we know or what we've experienced or what we've been taught is right or, or whatever, sometimes we miss information. And in this series, Flying High, what we've been seeing is that God has a vision for your life and mine. I don't know if you've ever thought about your life that way, but God designed you specifically for something. For something. God designed you in such a way that you would not just live with purpose, but that you would live on purpose. Here's a good question for you to consider right now, for all of us to consider. Am I living life on purpose? Like where you are right now, did you get there on purpose? Think about that. Whatever your results are, the truth of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, that there are too many people today, and look, there's no condemnation on my part, don't hear me that way, but if the shoe fits, don't wear it, change it. Don't put that shoe on. But what I want you to consider is this, that there are too many people today that are just letting life live through them instead of living life with purpose. That makes sense? Get where I'm coming from with that? Like, what if you could live your life on purpose, with purpose, with a vision, with a direction, with a destination point, with guaranteed results? What I'm saying to you is, as in this series, what we've been seeing is that God has that life for you and I. This guy, Nehemiah, wasn't unlike you and I. See, he was a man who was living in a place called Babylon, and he Grew comfortable there. I'll tell you why. Because the people of Babylon came and invaded Jerusalem. And they destroyed the walls of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple of worship. And in doing so, they destroyed the hearts of these people. So much so that the people of God settled for life in rubble. They settled for less than God's best. They turned away from their worship of God... And they turned to their worship of anything and everything else that life threw at them. And so the Bible tells us, as we saw over the last couple of weeks, and I want to encourage you because I'm not going to really be able to dig into the previous uh, topics from the series, but go check us out on the website, ctbny.com. You can listen to all the messages there. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on uh, iTunes. You could get our app. There's many ways for you to listen to what we've been talking about. But uh, this guy, Nehemiah, is kind of, he becomes, he rises through the ranks and he becomes the cupbearer of the king, this guy named King Artaxerxes. And you would think, you know, as a cupbearer, he's like one of the guys that serves the king, so he lives in the palace. You would think, man, this guy's arrived. But really, he's stuck just like the rest of them. And then one day, he gets wind from his brother Hanani that the walls of Jerusalem are destroyed and the people are disheartened. And something happens happens in his heart he begins to see something that nobody else really saw everybody saw the walls down but nehemiah caught a vision from god and he found purpose for life he found that god designed him for something just just like god designed you for something if you believe that say this with me god designed me for something Now, listen, right now, for some of us, we may just be saying that, but my prayer is that today the word of God would speak to your heart and you would begin to see that you have a purpose, that you can live on purpose, that you fit neatly in a puzzle, uh, that you're a puzzle piece that fits neatly in God's grand design. So what we found over these last several weeks in this series, Flying High, is that in order to live that life, that way, to discover that from God, we've got to get a vision from God. We've got to see what God sees. See, vision from God is to your life what wind is to wings that spread. It gives you a gust and gives you the ability to rise high, to soar. And so over the last couple of weeks, uh, we learned a couple of things. We learned that one, you're a solution waiting to happen. In week one, we learned your solution waiting to happen. There, there's a design. There's something that God has for you, and when you get a hold of that, here's here's what you could get. You could bet your bottom dollar on that you're going to see it, but no one else is going to be excited about it. You're going to go, wow! Oh man! <laughs> man, God, I'm believing you for something. Or maybe you don't believe in Jesus, but there's something that God is stirring in your heart, and you see it, and you get excited about it, but no one else is excited about it. See, when you discover, when you understand that you're a solution waiting to happen, you're prepared to endeavor upon the vision that God has for your life because you will find the opportunity, and you will run with it when you see it. So we learned you're a solution waiting to happen. We also learned that you're positioned for life. You know, no matter where you go, if you are in the right place, in other words, you are, your, your response to God is yes, you've already arrived at success. You're as successful as you'll ever be because you said yes to God. From that point forward, it's just simply unfolding the vision that God has for your life. So we got to live life in position. And then last week we learned that you can face uh, the opposition that comes your way. You can face the opposition that comes your way. Check out the series uh, in, in totality and the various vehicles that I gave you. Today, I'd like to talk to you on the subject of a guaranteed victory. A guaranteed victory. Now, let me ask you a question. Who doesn't want to fight that fight where it's guaranteed that I win? How about that? Who wants to live that life? No matter what I do, I win. No matter where I go, I succeed, right? I, I I I get pretty excited about that, right? But listen, everyone wants to win in life, but not everyone lives to win. Everyone wants to win in life. Think about this: nobody grew up saying, "Man, I can't wait to fail." Nobody tells himself as a kid when they're dreaming and looking at birds in the sky going, man, one day I want to sink solo. low. We're not wired that way. We're wired for more. We're wired for greater things. But you see, Nehemiah was living with no end in mind. He was stuck in Babylon. He was the king's cupbearer. You, you want to hear what that means? For those of you that might not be aware, a cupbearer's job was to drink everything that the king was about to drink before he drank it in case it was poisoned. That was his job. That's what he had settled into. He was a cupbearer. Waiting for one day to take a hit for the king. Captive in Babylon. But the moment he realized that God had something specific for his life, from that point forward, Nehemiah lived with a purpose. He lived to win, to complete what God had called him to. And as a result, when he got a hold of the vision that God had for him, it moved him from his place of comfort. I believe that God is speaking to some of us today. and Here's what he's saying. I'm calling you to move. I'm calling you to leave your place of comfort. I'm calling you to do and experience something different. I'm calling you. I'm calling you. Uh, so as long as you're pursuing and growing into what God designed you for, you've already won. You've already won. I like what Vince Lombardi once said. I, you'll catch me every now and then quoting this guy. He was a football genius, but I believe this guy most likely was a believer. I don't know that for sure, but I love some of his quotes. And quote that I like says, winning is not a sometime thing. I'm going to say that again. Winning is not a sometime thing. It's an all-time thing. You don't win once in a while. You don't, do the, you don't do things right once in a while. You do them right all the time. Winning is a belief, a mindset, a lifestyle. Unfortunately, so is losing. What I love about this quote is that it reveals something about what we're going to talk about today. This quote in particular speaks within the context of a team. A team. And so, as we'll see today, God will give you a vision that points you to a greater purpose in life. But one of the secret ingredients that he employs to guarantee that you succeed is people specifically a united people, one vision, one mission, one purpose. Listen, there is nothing that God will call you to that he will call you to do alone. It just doesn't work that way. That's not the way we were designed. Last week, we ended with the point that in the face of opposition, we have to remember that we can't do it alone. And I told you last week, I'm setting you up for this week. See, when Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, we saw over the last several weeks, he arrived with an army provided by the king. He, provide, he, he, he arrived with building materials provided to build. He arrived with letters of authority. He had everything that he needed except a team. And it wasn't like the people of Israel were excited when Nehemiah came. The, the Bible doesn't give us that reflection. What we do see is that Nehemiah had a vision But he had no help, and to make matters worse, he had a lot of enemies. He showed up to a bunch of opposition, and prior to his arrival, the people of Israel lived in ruins. They were disheartened. They lived in a weakened state. They were scattered. And when Nehemiah shows up, he shares the vision that God has given him for them, for his life. And the thing about it is this, that they're all living in ruins, and all of a sudden, they get a hold of a vision from God. And they unite, and they went from being disheartened to believing. They went from living in ruins to raising the ruins and building something. They went from a place of weakness to great strength. See, the glue that ties all this together for life, the glue that God provides for us to succeed and fulfill the vision that specifically has for our lives is called unity. Unity. See, where there's unity, there's always victory. Where there's unity, there's always victory. These people were weak. Listen, they gave up on God. They settled for ruins. They settled for second best. They said, well, you know, this is the hand that, de- that life dealt me, and this is, this is, what I, this is the game I got to play. And all of a sudden, these weak, disheartened, unbelieving people get together, and something happens. They felt weak, they looked weak, they lived weak, not realizing that their strength was right among them. See, even the weak become strong when they're united. These people were weak. They were weak in belief, weak in heart, but they were still chosen by God. And let me say something to each and every one of us because I know that while I'm talking to you, there's somebody talking to you too. Maybe it's your past. Maybe it's your current circumstances. Maybe it's your experiences. Maybe it's the devil. Maybe it's you yourself and your own self-talk. And what I want you to hear is this, that you are chosen by God. Let me say that again. You are chosen by God. Not only are you chosen by God, you're loved by God. Not only are you chosen and loved by God, you're you're chosen, loved, and equipped by God. Not only are you chosen, loved, and equipped by God, you're chosen, loved, and equipped and called to greater things by God. You are God's solution. You are the piece to the puzzle that God wants to place somewhere. I think it's about time we begin to get a hold of this as a part of the vision that God has for our life, that we belong in unity in a place where God will encourage and build and lift us up. But unfortunately... There's this predominating mindset in this world that says, just do you, baby. Just just live your life. Let me, let me show you something from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This is going to bore you because you're going to hear all these names and you're going to go, huh? What? This? That? Just, just follow me for a moment. Follow, follow what the words because I want to show you something. Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, the people gathered together. Now they're at the building point. It says, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho, so this is just giving us an account of all these groups of people among Israel that are in Jerusalem and that are coming from outside of Jerusalem to build, to, to, to endeavor upon the work that God is calling them to. Verse 2. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakor the son of Emery, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasenna. Um They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz ha- repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezebel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Beena, also made repairs. I know, right? What does that mean? Let me point your attention just to verse 4. I want you to notice that in every verse that we read, here's what it says. Next to him... Next to him... Meshulah, son of Barakai, the son of Meshezebel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Bena. You, you, some of you ain't getting this. Listen closely. Listen closely. These were all people disunited, alone, stuck, hurting, living in rubbles, in disarray, settling for second best. And all of a sudden, they get next to one another, and they have the ability to build something big. Listen closely. God has called you to great things. And he says, listen, just look to the left and to the right, to all the people that I'm placing in your life. Because, listen, there's, there's an Ethiopian, uh, uh, an Ethiopian uh, proverb that I once heard that goes something like this. It says, a bunch of spiders, many spiders can tie down a lion. See, individually, they can't build anything. Nothing sustaining. But all of a sudden, you get them all together, and what they build with that, with, with, with that web will tie down a line. You getting a picture here? And so you would think that after having experienced such great success, because where we've been, where we've left off, the, the people of Israel are now united, and they've built the wall halfway. And, while, and all of a sudden now they're all looking to God. They're praying. They're supporting one another. They're running to each other's aid to defend one another. And so God is doing a great work in them. And you would think that after experiencing all this, that they would stick together. But Nehemiah 5 tells us that a famine comes about. You know what that means? There was no more arroz con gandules. There was no more rice and peas. There was no more roti, right? There was no more baked chicken. There was no more uh, platanos. There was none of that. Everybody's hungry, right? And only a select few had some grain. And so Nehemiah 5 tells us that this famine comes, and amongst the Jews, because you got to understand it was an agricultural society that they lived in. So they lived off of everything that they Uh, that they grew, and the animals they had. So there were some Jews that had some, some means. But Nehemiah 5 tells us that when the famine came about, the division began to arise among the people. Some people had it so bad that they began to mortgage their fields. So here's what it looked like. My field isn't growing anything now, but it has the potential. But I have nothing to eat. So, hey, brother, would you allow me... To give you my field, I'm going to mortgage it to you, right? And you give me some grain, and then what I'll do is, as I, as, as I get back on my feet, I'll pay you back for that land so I could get it back from you, right? So they began to mortgage their fields, their vineyards, and their homes to their fellow Jews. But listen, it got even worse. Eventually, they ran out of resources again, and so what they started to do was to give their children off as slaves, in hopes that they can someday get back on their feet and buy their children back. And so let's see how Nehemiah addressed this challenge because we learned something here about the vision that God has for our life and the role that unity plays. Listen to what he says in Nehemiah 5 verses 8 through 9. It says, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people? Only for them to be sold back to us, they kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. Watch what Nehemiah says in verse 9. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. I want to pause right there for a moment because I want you to consider what Nehemiah is addressing here. He's not simply addressing the issue of them mortgaging their homes and their, and their, and their uh, fields and their vineyards. He's not simply addressing the, that issue. He's addressing what they were doing to each other. That they were using one another. That they were taking advantage of one another. That they were divided. And listen to what he says. Listen to what God says to you and I. And I think it's important for us to pay attention to this because each and every one of us knows what it is to live for ourselves. And here's what he says. This is not right. It's not right. Not right. Now, I get it. I get it. We've all got our field to 10. We've got our own household to tend, and we should do that. Absolutely. That's called responsibility. There's nothing wrong with that. But you know, the moment you start living for yourself, here's what you can't do you can't live for God because you've replaced Him, because we've exalted ourselves, because now we quote unquote reign. We might as well sing uh, how did that old song say? Uh, How'd that old song go? I worship me, almighty God, there is none like me. Right? Some of you know, you remember that old old tune. But that's literally what we end up doing. We worship ourselves. And Nehemiah says what you are doing is not right. But watch why it's not right. Continuing in verse 19, it says, so what you're doing is not right. He says, shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? Here's what he's saying. Shouldn't you walk in reverence to God? Shouldn't you acknowledge God? But watch what he's talking about. He says, shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? So here's what Nehemiah is addressing here. He says to them, it's not right what you're doing. Shouldn't you do it the way God designed it to be where we walk in unity? Lest we become the reproach of all our enemies around us. Here's what he's saying. If we keep doing this, what we're doing is inviting our enemies to come and destroy us. And here's here's, here's how the enemy works. He inserts a lie. He divides the people and then he sits back and he watches as we destroy ourselves. That's how the enemy fights. That's how your enemy fights. He inserts a lie. We believe it is truth. We empower it as truth in our life. And we destroy what's amongst us. The scripture says this. The scripture says that where strife is, you know what strife is? Strife is disunity magnified, it's unity torn down. Strife is when we are at odds about everything, when we're resisting each other, where we're fighting the right fight. What are you talking about, Pastor Jose? Where I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. And so we're all wrong. Everybody loses. And the Bible says this, that where strife is, every type of evil is at work. And so listen closely. These people were so intent on taking care of themselves, me, my foreign, no more that they failed to see that they were opening the door wide for their enemies. And Nehemiah points something out to them in saying this. We learn something from what he says. See, division is an open invitation for the enemy to stop what God has called you to. I gotta ask you a question. Something for all of us to reflect on. What does unity look like in your life? Just I want you to just chew on that. Oh, I love God. Well, how does it translate into your home? Oh, I love me, the body of Christ. But how, does that, how is that exemplified amongst your fellow man? When you leave work, do people notice? If you moved from your community, would your community get worse as a result of you leaving? I want you to consider how important unity is. Because unity is God's recipe for change. A united people can accomplish much. Let me, let me take this a step further. Let me get a little bit more personal. Let me dig into your business. Are you united, truly united to the body of Christ? I'm not talking about, oh, yeah, I show up on Sundays. That's religion. That's religion. Religion says we show up on this day, we do these things, we read these things, we act this way, and then when we leave, we put a check in our little personal mental, mental book where we say, I did this for God, so I'm good for the week. But you see, let me ask you a question, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that are married or in a committed relationship. How would that work if your significant other said, well, I saw you today and I spoke to you, so check. I'll see you next week. How'd that work? It's not going to work, right? I know Annette Vasquez ain't accepting that. She will kill me and then raise me from the dead. What's my point? My point is simply this. Don't make the same mistake. Don't separate yourself from the people that God brings into your life to help you accomplish the vision he has for you. You know, you know it's interesting. I was reading something. I don't know how true this is because I don't know anything about wolves. And you can't trust Google or anything else. But I, I read something where it basically what they were saying was that a wolf can see two little boys playing together. And it will not approach them. But it can see one big strong man and it will move in for the kill. You know why? Because it understands the power of numbers. And what I want want to say to you clearly is this. Don't live life alone. Don't pursue the purposes that God has for your life alone. I get it. We've been let down by people. So have I. I. I get it. You tried before and it didn't work. So have I. I get it. Relationships are difficult. Especially amongst the body of Christ. But what I'm saying to you is that it's worth it. What I believe God is saying to each and every one of us is that we're not called to live alone. That there's a guaranteed pathway to victory. And it's called unity. It's called unity. And so for the next couple of moments that I have here as I'm wrapping up, I want to give you four little points. Just four little points. About unity. About Fulfilling the vision that God has for you, specifically how unity plays a part into that. The first point that I want to make to you is simply this, that it's hard to find a winning team. It is hard. But it gets harder if we don't make the effort. Life gets a lot harder if we don't make the effort. Let me put it to you another way. Unity takes effort. Having a team takes effort. You ever, you ever seen these, these teams where you have one superstar, right? You have one superstar, right? Or you have a bunch of superstars. And each superstar plays for his stats. You know what that's called? The Lakers. I'm sorry. Let's make sure we delete that from the video. No, my my point with that is this, that there's no effort in that. The effort is all for me. Let me read to you what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. I can't believe I said that. I'm sorry. You got to pardon me. I'm not the most polished guy, but anyway. Ephesians 4, 3 says this. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. I want you to consider what the scriptures say. It says, make every effort. You know what it's saying there? Make an effort at all times. In every arena. In every situation. Make an effort to keep unity. Because unity is more than just a group of people. Watch what shows up when unity is present. Unity amongst believers. It says, keep the unity of the spirit. Look who shows up when we unite. Look who begins to work when we unite, the Spirit of God. And here's what it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. See, the vision that God has for your life will not come to pass if you don't make every effort. Make the effort at all times to seek out those who will help you carry it out. See, unity isn't just about uniting yourself to people. Unity is the glue that keeps us together. It keeps us together. I remember when we started church at the bridge. I did all the counseling sessions. I oversaw all the events. I facilitated everything. And I was working myself to the bone. And I realized something. I'm reminded of the words of Nehemiah. This is not right. This is not right. And I remember one day sitting. This is early, early on. I'm in my home. We were having a connect group, the one connect group we had. And we, it was me, my wife, my two children, um, a woman named Annette Lopez who comes here, and I believe it was another woman named Jessica. It was just six of us. And what I began to see was, God, you're here right now. You're working right now. so And God told us something when we first started this ministry. You build people, they'll build the church. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about people building people. People lifting people. People introducing people to Jesus through their lives. I don't have to do that. All I've got to do is teach the word and equip people and watch what begins to happen. Look around the room. We started with 12 people. Look around the room. We started with 12 people. We run two services now. We're involved in the community. But that all started with people building people. That started with people uniting a team coming together and making an effort. I've had this conversation many times over where I go, I think you're ready to begin to run a group. Or I think you're ready to take on a responsibility or I think you're ready to run an event or I think you're ready to now do this or I think you're ready to teach. I think you're ready to uh, oversee a, 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 a friends and family that will speak at this. And, and, and almost every time I get, who, me? All of a sudden we got owls in the room. Who, 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 who. And I simply tell them. God's response? Yes, you. That's how we got where we are today. That's how God works. And so there's power in unity, but we have to make the effort to get there. That makes sense? Second point I want to leave you with is this that when we work together in love and unity, we can expect heaven's help. The book of Acts is an account of the early church, its beginnings the challenges they went through, the many victories that they experienced. But in the midst of it, what we see is that unity was always at work. In, uh, in Acts chapter 12, uh, what we see is, and we're not going to turn there. We're just going to look at one verse from there. But basically what it is, what happens is this. The, the early church is pursuing the vision that God has given them. It's go and make disciples of all the nations. Go tell them what I've told you. Go tell them about the great works that have done. Go tell them about the forgiveness that God has provided for the entire world. Go tell them that God still heals. Go tell them that God loves them regardless of where they've been or what they see about themselves. Go tell them that there's hope for the future, that there's plans and purposes set apart for them. And so these people are living with purpose, on purpose, pursuing what God has for them. But they were also in the midst of great persecution. And in the midst of this, here's what happens. This one guy, James, gets put to death by this guy named King Herod. And all of a sudden, they show up and they take Peter. They start taking pillars from the church, leaders. And Peter finds himself sitting in a jail. And the scriptures declare that there were four, uh, uh, four units. And basically what it means, there were 16 guards around this guy. You would think this guy was a murderer, right? that he was like a top-notch criminal. But this guy, Peter, is surrounded by 16 different guards, and there's another two in his cell with him just to make sure that he meets the maker because their plan is to execute him. And so Peter's in prison. He's laying in his cell, and all of a sudden, he finds himself having what he thinks is a dream. In this vision, an angel shows up opens, the, Comes is is in the cell with him, the light is shining on it, and all of a sudden the shackles fall off his arms and his legs, and the angel says to him, quick, put your clothes on, let's get out of here. The gate opens up, he walks right by the guards, and he's free. Now up until this point, Peter believes that he's having a dream, and then he realizes this is really happening. Look at Acts chapter 12, what happens when he gets After he gets out of there. It says, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. Listen closely to this. Where many people had gathered and were praying. I'll tell you why I share that with you. Because while it might seem that Peter was alone in a cell, he wasn't. See, unity has nothing to do with the proximity of people around you. Unity has everything to do with a heart knit to one another that says I love you no matter how far you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what it looks like. I'm united unto you. I love you and I'm united to you. And so I make this point to you again that when we're together in and loving unity, watch what happened. While these people weren't in the cell with him, they were united to him. They loved him. And so they were together, they were gathered together and they prayed. And Heaven responded. The scripture puts it this way. Where two or more are gathered in my name, they're mine. You want God, you want, you, 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 want, you want to see the hand of God in a greater capacity? Increase your circumference of people that are united in faith with you. Change your circle. Invite the hand of God. He's already present. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. But we need one another. And so the next point I want to make to you is simply this, that we get better together. Say this with me. We get better better. together. together. Now, out of everyone here, I saw one person look around and go together. Oh, I get it. Oh, Pastor, this is good. I'm listening. Great. But don't miss together in the process. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says this. Iron sharpens iron. And one man sharpens another. I want you to see something. It takes iron to sharpen iron. But watch what it takes to sharpen you. Another man. Another person. Listen, I get it. Oh, but you, you, you don't understand. I'm comfortable alone. I'm comfortable with these group of people. We grew up together. We know each other from way, 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 way back. And that's where they are when you need them, way back. That's where they are, way back. Yeah, they got your back all right. Let me ask you a question. Is the people that you live in unity with or that you think you're united to, do they sharpen you? Do they make you better? Do they encourage your faith? Do they offer you something that pulls you up and not pulls you down instead? See, when you're united, when you're living in unity and surrounded by the people that God has that play a part in the purpose of the vision that he has for your life, you got to understand something. It will make you better. It will lift you higher. It will not pull you down. You know, I, 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 I run into countless people in ministry. I go to conferences and, you know, I I try to sharpen my blade and build relationships with people. And I've been around a lot of pastors and and I'm going to just clue you into some of the conversations that pastors have when they get together. This is the number one question you hear. How many people you running? How many people you got in your congregation? You know, I got sick and tired of that question because literally what we're saying is let's see who's got it better. You know, according to Scripture, you know what the answer to that question is? Here at Church at the Bridge, it's about 260 people. Not that that matters. But you know what the truth is about here at Church at the Bridge? Here's the answer to that question. How many people are you running? One. Because we're one body. We're one people. With one purpose, serving one God, pursuing all that God has for us. We're one. I get it, we're different. I get it, we have different experiences. I get it, we have different skin tones. But you know, even what we call color today and race, that's man made. You don't find that in the Bible. We're one. Though we're many, we're one. One body. And we get better together when we understand that as one, we're sharper. As one, we're stronger. Listen, there may be some days when you come in here and you are down and out or so you believe. But let me tell you, in the body of Christ, there's always a get back up. There's always a get up. There's always the ability to get back up because there's someone coming right next to you and say, I know you're down, but let's keep building. Let's keep raising the walls. Let's keep doing what God has called us to. And so be mindful of who you surround yourself with. Because as the scripture says, bad company does corrupt good character. Anything outside of unity with people that will encourage all that God has called you to will dull you. It won't sharpen you, it'll dull you. It's like going and throwing your head upon a rock every single day and somehow believing that it makes you better. It doesn't. And the last point I want to leave you with here is simply this. That all can work, but together all can win. Listen to what I'm saying here. Everybody's living their life. I call that work. Solomon says, all the things that we do under the sun, all the labor, he says, it's, it's vanity. It's empty. It's empty. And here's my point with this, that every one of us can focus upon my job, me, my foreign, no more, my fields, my home, my thing, my interests. But together... Everyone wins. Alone, you lose. Let me prove it to you. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says this, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So here's what the scripture is saying there. Together, we grow, we mature to be just like Christ. But watch how that happens. Verse 16. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Watch this. Grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. A couple of weeks back I had an accident on my motorcycle and went down. And I hurt this shoulder. My right shoulder. It was pretty bad. Um, And, yep, I faked it till I made it. I walked in here, and yeah, God bless you, brother. God bless you. (laughs) Right? Some of you actually witnessed that, right? And I tried to hide it as best as possible. Hey, I don't hide anything. I'm just me. But my point with that is this, that so I went to physical therapy, you know, and I was doing this physical therapy, but I was focusing all the exercises and everything they were giving me on this arm, right? Here's what started to happen. I began to develop pain in this arm. I said, why? I didn't even go down on that side. You know what the physical therapist told me? You've been overcompensating. You've been using one arm while not growing the other. And so now what you're experiencing is debility, weakness in this arm, Because you've been strengthening this one while not paying attention to the other one. Are you starting to get a picture of what I'm talking about here? See, when we're living alone, we're working for ourselves. But watch what happens to the whole. We grow weak. And so why not follow this recipe? See, all of us can go for our own win, pursue our own life. But together, we can all win. Listen, you'll change a city that way. You'll change communities. You'll change households. You'll change mindsets in this world. If we could just get this. I get it. I could work. I could do me. But why not instead do us? Why not focus on one another? See, together we win. But alone... All we do is work, and it's vanity. Let's stand here today. I believe that each and every one of us have received something today. Maybe you came here. Maybe you were dragged here. Maybe you're watching online because somebody keeps forwarding you messages about, you got to check this out. But whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever your life stage or age or experience is, I believe this, that God's word applies to your life. It has something to say to all of us. And today I believe that God is challenging each and every one of us to step out of our comfort zone and to experience something that maybe we've never done. It's finding true belonging. It's discovering purpose. It's experiencing change. But not alone. It's with Him and His people. God loves you. He's got the very best for you. Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone any longer. See, you need the people of God, but guess what? We need you too. Because together we're better, because together we're stronger. Because together everyone wins. It's time to get out of our places of comfort, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to rise to higher places. Experience great things with God in unity. People of Israel missed it, and it wasn't until they joined with one another that they began to see the hand of God at work. They began to see something built that they've never experienced before because they've given up on God. That's what God wants to do in your life and mine. And so, Lord, today we take a moment just to respond to you. You know what that's called? That's called worship. Worship is not a song. Worship is our active response to who God is. And I believe that today God has revealed himself to you and me. A gracious God, a good God. A God that surrounds us with people so that we could live in unity and experience change. So that we can build something real big. And everybody could see how good God has been to us, to you. To see that there's still a God that is true and loving and right. That he's not this God with a thunderbolt, but that he's God extending his hands and saying, come. Come. Come to me. Let me work in your life. Let me bring change to your life. Let me show you true life. And today, Lord, we come to you and we respond to your word right there where you are. Maybe that means you're raising your hands. Maybe that means you're talking to God. Maybe that means you're telling God, God, I need you. I, I don't know what that is for you, but wherever you are, take a moment just to reflect Upon the word of God today. God, here we are. Your people. We're all different, Lord. We come from different places, different experiences. But Father, you say we're one. We're one. And Lord, today we take a moment. Not simply to unite ourselves in heart to you, but to one another. To acknowledge your grand design, your great wisdom, a people of one. Where color doesn't matter, where past doesn't matter, present or future. But all that matters is God bringing people together as one. We are one. One, maybe, just maybe, there's someone here today, and you, you're hearing what I'm saying, but you're saying, not me. I don't belong. I don't get all this. I'd rather just be alone. But there's something within you that acknowledges, man, I really do need something more. I believe that right now, at this moment, God is speaking to you. And what he's saying to you is, there's something bigger that you're a part of. And I invite you to experience it. You know how that begins? It begins with a yes to God. A yes that opens the doors to God changing everything around you. See, he's not asking you to change yourself. He's asking you to let him do the work. And so here's what he did. He looked upon a world that was broken and lost in sin. And someone had to pay the price. And he looked upon us not with condemning eyes, but with love. And he said, they can't pay the price, and so I will. I'll pay it for them. I'll become guilty for them so that they could be free. And so he dealt with sin for the entire world. Not just for you, Christian, but for everyone. Sin isn't the issue, ladies and gentlemen, in this world. It's people not understanding the price that was paid that sets us free. And so today, if you believe that and you say, man, God loves me that much, I want you to join with us in this prayer. Whether you're here in person or online watching, I want you to join with us in this prayer. Say this with heartfelt conviction. Let's pray this together. Say this with me. Jesus, I believe. You are the son of God. God. I believe that you died and you rose again. Because you love me. Because you paid the price for me. And so from this day forward. I call you my Lord and Savior. And I declare that you are my God. And I will follow you for the rest of my life. And I know that from this day forward, I'm flying high. I'm going places. I'm stepping into my best life. Come on now, if you pray that, we celebrate all that God is doing in your life. We thank God for his goodness in you and the great purposes and plans that he's unleashing. We want to invite you to not leave here, but to tell somebody what God has done in your life today because we want to walk alongside you in this journey. Now, God, we thank you for your word. And this time together, we say we love you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you again next Sunday.